the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast can be found on your favorite streaming platform, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. What we're simply just calling tonight is how the Eucharist can make your life better. That's it. How the Eucharist can make your life better. Now, this is not like a self-improvement seminar, um, but what we believe about Jesus Christ truly present in the Eucharist, um, if we really believe it and if we open ourselves to the power that Jesus Christ can have in our life, then our life will change for the better. It might not be easy, but it's going to be better. So that's what we want to uh, to focus on tonight. And I'm going to use really just two books um, that should be in every Catholic home, I hope. And if not, here's your, here's your chance. One is the Bible. The other is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, we're going to dive into to both of those tonight. So I just want to begin as we, as we pray um, with words that you hear every Sunday, words that you hear every time you come uh, to Mass. Uh, They're the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. So let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From the Gospel of Mark. While they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them. And they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, as we begin this night in praise and in worship of you, we ask that you open our hearts open our minds to serve you, to love you, to know you. And especially with the great gift of the Eucharist, may we never take it for granted. May its power be present in our lives, in our families, and in this parish. We ask this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, when we talk about the Eucharist, just want to kind of a little, a little introduction. Um, so we have in the, in the Catholic Church, we have uh, seven sacraments, which starts with baptism. For most of us, probably that happened as when we were babies, um, but it doesn't have to. Uh, one of the people I'm going to baptize uh, in Stillwater this year uh, is a, a, a couple. Um, she's 88 and he's 87, she married young. Uh, they are, um, they're, they're stuck at home. They're what we would just call homebound. Um, th- we met them when she went on a hospice care. Um, she just sort of felt called to, to call some churches and see who would come and visit her. So she called a bunch of churches and they said, well, do you, do you go to church here? No. Uh, well, she called us and we were like, yeah, we'll come We'll come visit you. So we did. Um, they live in kind of a little trailer at, right outside of, of Stillwater. 
And uh, we happened to go one night, we were on our way to dinner, me and the other priest, Father Robert Healy, and we have a seminarian who's with us. His name is Kyle Dowd. And so we're on our way to dinner and we were like, oh, let's stop. This will be a good chance to see them. So they had never met a Catholic priest and they had never been inside a Catholic church. And the three of us all walked in. Well, she didn't tell her husband that we were coming. (laughs) So we're in her living room. She's there. She's on oxygen. And uh, two of us are priests. The other is a seminarian, but we're all dressed like, like priests. So the husband walks in and the, he walks in, sees us. And the first thing he does is goes to his hip. And we were like, whoa, 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 buddy. Hey, 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 no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're friendly. Your wife called us. We're, we're priests. We want to, anyway, it just led to this just kind of beautiful relationship over the last three, four months. And we've just taught them about the faith and they're going to be uh, baptized and receive the sacrament of confirmation and receive the Eucharist. Um, and it's all going to happen in their living room, right? But what we say, when you can't come to church, the church comes to you. Father Leo told me every Thursday he goes out and visits uh, those who are um, homebound. So we have these beautiful sacraments. We call them the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and communion. We have the sacraments of service, which are uh, marriage, and the sacrament of holy orders. And then the sacraments of healing, which are anointing of the sick and the sacrament of confession. Each one of those could be its own one-hour, five-hour night. There's so much there in terms of history and theology and scripture. Um, But tonight we want to focus on on the Eucharist. So I want to share with you um, one of the most beautiful passages that you'll ever hear, um, which, which is in large part where our theology of the Eucharist comes from. And it's John chapter 6. So the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the, of the New Testament, and we turn to chapter 6. It's a long chapter by comparison. It's 70, 80 verses or so. Um, and I'm not going to read the, the whole thing, but I just want to walk you through um, where we get our teaching on the Eucharist. Because you may run into family and friends, um, co-workers um, who, who go, to, go to a church, or maybe not, um, but they don't do what we do. They don't celebrate the Eucharist. Um, they don't believe in the Eucharist or the sacraments. Um, um, and what we believe about the Eucharist is, is, is scriptural. Um, it comes right from the Gospels. It comes right from uh, the, the writings of, of St. Paul. Um, when Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me, We take that very seriously. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. We take that very seriously. That's where our base, the basis of our teaching on the Eucharist comes from. So this is John chapter six, just a wonderful, um, maybe a good uh, read before uh, we get into Easter. But anyway, just something that you can, that you can take with you. John chapter 6 actually starts with uh, the, the miracle of the multiplication of loaves. That's not a coincidence. Jesus takes bread and multiplies it. Okay? What happens every Sunday in the Mass? Jesus takes ordinary bread and doesn't quite multiply it, but turns it into himself. Then we have the story of the walking on water. 
right? Jesus just showing his power, showing his, his miracles. And then we get to, um, in John chapter 6, um, this beautiful, what is just simply called the bread of life discourse. So I just want to read just a little bit um, to you in case you, you, you've never uh, heard it or you've never kind of engaged with it. Um, so it says this, uh, it starts at verse 22. The next day, the crowd that remained across the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not gone along with the disciples in the boat, but only his disciples had left. Other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had eaten the bread when the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So there's this crowd and they're following him. Um, I always kind of picture it as like, I don't know if you've ever been to like a really big golf tournament where you've seen golf tournaments on, on television. There's just this one guy. Uh, Tiger Woods or whoever your favorite golfer is. And then there's just all these people just going and they, just, wherever he goes, they go, right? This huge crowd just looking for Jesus. They had heard about him. Some of them had seen him multiply the bread. That would have been pretty incredible. Some of them saw him walk on water, but all of them have kind of heard about him. Um, this guy is really intriguing, I don't know what I believe about him, but I just kind of got to see this for myself. So this crowd begins to form. And when they found him, verse 25, when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered and said, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the son of man will give you. So already he's like setting the stage. He's beginning to tell them, okay, guys, there's food that you eat to nourish your body, which that can go bad. They would know that way more than we do. No refrigeration back then. All right. They knew what it was for food to go bad. Jesus is setting them up for this great teaching that something greater is coming. Food that will last for eternal life. Woo, amazing. So they said to him, what can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in the one who sent, he sent. So they said to him, what sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? I think sometimes we can, we can look at this and say, gosh, these people, like, why didn't they just believe? But we do this all the time. Somebody tells you something and you're like, I don't know. Let me, let me see. I got to see. I got to see that for myself. Same thing was happening back with Jesus. People had heard about these miracles. They had heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had heard, these are the, the last three gospels that we just heard on Sunday the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the man born blind, the guy was blind and then able to see. And then this woman at the well, whose life he, he changed. They had heard all these stories, but now we want to see it for ourselves. So prove it to us. So he says, our ancestors ate manna in the desert. This is the people. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
So already they're like, wait a minute. So there's bread and then there's bread from heaven. But they were going back. These were good Jewish people. They already knew the story when Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were hungry and they prayed, Lord, we're hungry, feed us. And what happened? Bread came down from heaven, literal bread, not the Eucharist. So they already kind of have this in their mindset. And Jesus knows this and Jesus is playing it up. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And this is where it really gets good. They ask him, we, we don't know exactly what you're talking about, but we'll take it. Give us what you're offering. Give us this bread. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So notice he's not pointing at this physical bread that, you know, kind of a pile of bread somewhere. He's referring to himself. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. So he's already pointing to himself. I am the bread of life. That's a bold claim. If I walked in here and and told you that I'm food. What? That's, That's weird. Jesus is calling himself the bread of life. Okay, he goes down. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And so then people start to, uh, the the scriptures say they start to murmur. There's kind of a buzz in the crowd. Like, wait, what? I don't know. The Jews murmured about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? How can he say that he's come down from heaven? They're not even arguing with him being bread. They're arguing about how did, how did he come down from heaven? I know his dad. This guy like built me a table 10 years ago. There's, there's no way that he came down from heaven. He's a human being just like us. So Jesus has numerous opportunities to take back what he said. This is what I love about John chapter six. He has numerous opportunities to say, you know what, guys, I'm just talking symbolically. You know what, guys, I was, I was just kidding. I'm not the bread of life, but he doesn't. Every time they challenge him, he says it again. He says it again. I don't know if you're the gambling type, but in in the cards, this would be called doubling down, right? I believe in what I'm saying, and I'm going to bet double. Jesus doubles down, and then he doubles down again. So Jesus answered and said to them, stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day. Skipping down. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Bold claims, not speaking symbolically. The Jews quarreled among themselves. They've gone from murmuring to quarreling. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, so here's a chance for Jesus to pull back and say, you know what? You guys are right. I'm just speaking symbolically. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. He doubles down. Amen. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. There's not a lot of middle road there. 
There's not a lot of middle road. Um, And we take this passage as Catholics, we take this very, very seriously. For my flesh is true food and my blood true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. That's our teaching on the Eucharist. There's more to it than that, but that's where this all comes from. And then there's a wonderful line and the way you can remember it, this is John chapter six and it's John chapter six, verse 66. Okay. John chapter six, verse 66. And it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. So there were people who just simply said, I don't believe you. What you're saying is too much. I will not follow you anymore. They left. It was too hard. Then the next line is verse 67. Jesus then said to the 12, do you also want to leave? And Simon Peter, uh, St. Peter, our first Pope, the first leader of the church, he answers on their behalf. And he says, master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's pretty great stuff. That's John chapter six, the beautiful basis for what we believe about the Eucharist. And so when you come to mass, um, that is what is being presented to you. That's what shows up on the altar. When you come to Eucharistic adoration, which I hope that you do, I've heard that there's a devotion of the Eucharist kind of growing um, here. That is so, so, so wonderful. That's what we're looking at. That's what we are consuming. Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven. So that's our basis. Now, let's go a step further and and just simply ask the question, why receive Holy Communion at all? Why come to Mass? Why go to Eucharistic Adoration? Why should I make receiving Holy Communion a priority in my life? And this is where the beautiful catechism comes in. Um, As I mentioned last night, the catechism split up into four parts. The whole first part of the catechism is on the creed. It goes line by line through the creed. The second part of the catechism, which I'm going to read some of tonight, uh, walks through all seven sacraments. It starts with baptism, then confirmation, then the Eucharist, and on it goes. Um, Beautiful explanations of all of, the, all, all of the sacraments. So maybe there, you want to dive in on confession. You want to dive in on confirmation. You want to dive in on baptism. You want to dive in on the Eucharist. The catechism is a great place to go. The third part of the catechism is on the commandments. The Ten Commandments, it walks you through each commandment one by one. It's on the, the moral life, how we are to live. And then the fourth part of the catechism, unlike the other three, is kind of a meditation on a life of prayer. So the creed, sacraments, the commandments, and then what a life of prayer can look like. Beautiful stuff, the catechism. All right, so in the catechism, in 
paragraph, this, I'm going to start at paragraph 1391. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, 1389 is a good one. Just to, I just want you to hear it for yourself uh, because uh, it speaks to our obligations as, as Catholics. So here's paragraph 1389. The church obliges the faithful. Okay, you are obligated. You are the faithful. You are obligated, okay, to take part in the divine liturgy on Sundays and feast days. So think of it this way. Every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. Every Sunday. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I do in Stillwater is that sometimes I'll refer to holy days of obligation as holy days of opportunity. Uh, and sometimes people like that. And sometimes people sort of look at me weird and that's okay. Um, holy days of obligation. We, we have to be there. You got to be there. Um, every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. And so if you're traveling, you find a Catholic church. If you're on the road, you find a Catholic church. It's actually a beautiful opportunity to grow in your faith and meet some, meet some new people. Um, and go and visit a church. So the church, 1389, the church obliges the faithful to take part in the divine liturgy on Sundays and feast days. So that's Sundays and then and holy days of obligation, okay? Prepared by the sacrament of reconciliation to receive the Eucharist at least once a year, if possible, during the Easter season. So number one, we wanna make confession a priority, Okay, so that's why Father Leo is offering it tonight. Father Kingsley just walked in. So I don't know, about a minute from now, he'll be, he'll be ready if you just want to get up and, and go to confession. Um, so we are obliged to go to confession and to receive Holy Communion at least once a year. Now, if we're faithful and in the church and coming to Mass, um, we're going to go to Holy Communion a lot more. That's the basic minimum, the precept of the church. All right, it goes on. If possible, oh, but the church strongly encourages the faithful to receive the Holy Eucharist on Sundays and feast days, or more often still, even daily. So making that the, the coming, obviously to Sunday mass on Holy Days of Obligation, but then even more often, if you're able to come during the week, if you're able to come on different days to make that a priority, receiving Holy Communion, it's, it's good for us. And we're going to hear all of those effects. Okay, so then it gets to 1391 and it says, uh, the fruits of Holy Communion. When we receive Holy Communion, what does that do for us? Now, coming to church is not all about what does, what's this church going to do for me? Father Leo, what are you going to do for me? What's this place going to do for me? It's not about that, but there are real benefits to being close to the Eucharist, to having a relationship with the Eucharist. So here's number one, Holy Communion augments our union with Christ. Augment meaning it, it helps. Holy Communion draws us deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Now, one of the things I want to say, um, and this might, this might make you squirm a little bit, because uh, I say this sometimes to my own people, and they're always just like, ah, I don't know. Many of our Protestant brothers and sisters um, are very vocal about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you heard this? Um, I remember I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. I was Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I was proud to be Catholic. Didn't know my faith all that well as a 14-year-old. 
But I'm walking, I'm in between classes, I'm walking down the hall, it's me and this other young man, a little older, kid older than me, and he walks up to me in the hallway of my high school, and he says, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I was like, no, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom, like, uh, you know. <laughs> um, I had never been asked such, such a question, um, but I'm really glad that it happened, I think about that all the time. I always kind of wonder where that, where that guy is. Um, he walked right up to me and he said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, and I, and I was kind of just like, well, I mean, I'm a, I don't, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think maybe I was just sort of stumbling over myself and, and tried to get out of there as soon as I could. It made me uncomfortable. One, this kind of personal sort of in my, in my space um, but then the question made me uncomfortable. Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I think as Catholics, we don't talk about that enough. So there's kind of two, two relationships that we have. One is as the church. So you and I together as a, the universal church, as a parish within your family, right? We have a relationship with God. When we say that God loves his people, right? God loves us. He loves us collectively. He wants us together to, to draw closer to him. It's one of the reasons we come to church in the first place. Um, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people kind of, it's becoming more and more prevalent where people say, I don't, why, why do I have to go to church? Why can't I, I can just stay at home. I can just stay at home and worship, right? COVID made that worse. COVID made that worse where people are like, I'm, just, I'm good. I'll just stay here. Just me and the Lord, Right. Me and the Lord is good, but we do have a collective relationship. Jesus started a church. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus started a church. And we hold with all our hearts that the church that Jesus started is the church that we're in, is the Catholic church of today, going all the way back to the time of the apostles. That's a whole other talk. We have a collective relationship with God. But we also have, and I think we too often neglect, a personal relationship with Jesus. That Jesus loves us, but Jesus loves you. St. Augustine said that if you were the only person who ever lived that Jesus Christ would have died on the cross just for you. All the things that we're going to read coming up starting this Sunday, Palm Sunday, that whole story of the, the passion, the suffering, the death of Jesus. Every time we, we do the stations of the cross and we walk through those last moments in the life of Jesus, if you were the only person who ever lived, Jesus would have done all of that just for you. That's a powerful thing to internalize, that he would have done that just for you. And so when we receive the Eucharist, it's good for us collectively, but it's also very, 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 very good for you personally. I mentioned last night when you receive Holy Communion, you become a living, breathing, walking one of those, a tabernacle, right? Jesus dwells in you. What happens when you eat something? Let's say you eat an apple, okay? You eat an apple. 
um, an amazing thing happens, right? It goes down your throat and into your stomach. And then that apple like becomes a part of you. Okay, there comes a point at which the apple is no longer recognizable and the apple is now you. When we receive Holy Communion, it, it's, it's the other way. When we receive Holy Communion, yes, it goes in our mouth and down our throat and into our stomach and then into every part of our body. But when we receive Holy Communion, we are becoming more like Christ. And so it's a powerful thing to regularly, as often as we can, receive Holy Communion. It helps our relationship with Christ collectively, but also individually. All right, so that's the first thing that Holy Communion does. It augments our union with Christ. Here's how the catechism says it in paragraph 1392. What material food produces in our bodily life, Holy Communion wonderfully achieves in our spiritual life. Um, try going without food. How long would you last? Right? We don't even like to, I don't know, a couple hours. I don't want to go a couple hours. I like food. It's really good. Have you tried it? It's awesome, right? Um, we don't like to go a long time without food, but you can. You can go a couple days, but then your, your energy is going to be really affected. You're going to fall over at some point. Um, you'll die at some point if you don't have food. Um, we make the same claim with the Eucharist. Um, Peter Kreeft, who I, who I read to you last night, uh, at, the, at the very end, he wrote this wonderful little book called 40 Reasons I'm a Catholic. He has another great book called Prayer for Beginners. And in the very first sentence of the very first chapter, he basically makes the claim that praying is more important than eating. Because eating feeds your body and prayer feeds your soul. And your body is mortal and your soul is immortal. And so praying is more important than eating. It's kind of an interesting argument. Um, it's the same argument that the catechism makes. What material food produces in, in our bodily life, energy, strength, Holy Communion wonderfully achieves in our spiritual life. Communion with the flesh of the risen Christ, a flesh given life and giving life through the Holy Spirit, preserves, increases, and renews the life of grace received at baptism. So every time we receive Holy Communion, we are in one sense renewing our baptismal promises. We're renewing the grace and the life that was given to us at our baptism. Pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing stuff. And finally, on this point, this growth in Christian life needs the nourishment of Eucharistic communion, the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death when it will be given to us as viaticum. Um, I don't know if you've ever been um, with, with, uh, with somebody as they were dying um, but the appropriate sacrament for someone who's dying, if they can go to confession, good. Um, if they can be anointed, good. But the most appropriate sacrament at the moment of death is the Eucharist. And we call it viaticum, which means bread for the journey. A last meal, a last opportunity to receive Jesus who strengthens you for that walk from this life into the next.
One of the great privileges as a priest is to give people Holy Communion day after day, week after week. Um, it's not uncommon in our parish. We're, we're about a thousand families, right? There's parishes a lot, a lot bigger than us, but we're, we're pretty good size. Um, it's not uncommon um, for, for us to get a phone call or even at Sunday mass, somebody comes up and receives Holy Communion. And then later that week, we learned that they died. And I go back and I think, I, I gave them their last Holy Communion, bread for the journey. And that doesn't, it makes me sad that they're gone. Um, but it also fills me with great joy that, wow, they, they left this world having very recently received Holy Communion, bread for the journey. All right, so the Eucharist helps our relationship with Jesus communally and personally. That's the first fruit. Holy Communion, 1393 in the Catechism, Holy Communion separates us from sin. Who doesn't want to be separated from sin? I do. Hope you do. Holy Communion separates us from sin. Here's what it says. The body of Christ we receive in Holy Communion is given up for us, and the blood we drink shed for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. For this reason, the Eucharist cannot unite us to Christ without at the same time cleansing us from past sins and preserving us from future sins. This is a great benefit of receiving Holy Communion. When we receive Holy Communion, for the sins for which we are sorry, our venial sins, so there's venial sins, which tend to, are, are sort of smaller, important, but smaller, and then mortal sins. When we receive Holy Communion, our venial sins are forgiven. That's a message that I don't think a lot of people know. Um, every time I say that to a group of Catholics, people are kind of like, really? Ah, I, never, I never knew that. I never heard it. When we receive Holy Communion, um, two things happen. Our venial sins are, are, are forgiven. So your mortal sins, you got to go to confession. Go to confession. Um, and then the other thing that receiving Holy Communion does is it preserves us from future sin. Now, it's not magic. Don't see it as, okay, I've received Holy Communion. I'm, I'm invincible. I can go and watch whatever I want and read whatever I want and walk right into the middle of the gossip circle. And I won't gossip because I've received Holy Communion, right? It's not magic. Um, but there's a real spiritual benefit that comes with the forgiveness of sins and then the preservation of, of future sin. It strengthens us. It strengthens us. All of the sacraments do that. When you go to confession, sins are forgiven and you leave the confessional strengthened, stronger. But now just because you're stronger doesn't mean you can lift whatever you want. All right. Just because you worked out this morning, don't go trying to lift your big screen TV. Okay. It doesn't quite work that way. It's not, it's not magic. Um, but as it says, thir- this is 1394, as bodily nourishment restores lost strength, so the Eucharist strengthens our charity. Charity is another word for love. When you receive Holy Communion, you will become more loving. Anybody not want that? More loving to your spouse, more loving to your neighbors, more loving to your priest, more loving to the person sitting next to you, um, more loving to your enemies, more loving to the people that you don't like very much. 
more loving to the really annoying guy at work, more loving to that person who sits next to you at mass and fidgets around or sings off key or whatever it is, right? The Eucharist makes us more loving. And so we come and we try to receive Holy Communion as often as possible because we want to be like Jesus who perfectly loved When we receive Holy Communion, we become more like him. So it says, so the Eucharist strengthens our charity, which tends to be weakened in daily life. Right? We know that. We know that. We lose our patience with each other all the time. Drive around. I know Hartshorn isn't like a big traffic Mecca or anything, you know, but there's probably some bad drivers in this town, right? Okay. Uh, Okay. They're all sitting right over there. Yeah. There are, you know, there's people who, who are, you know, just kind of on an innocent level are, are really annoying. Um, and then other people who really, really bother us. Maybe people who do really bad things. Um, how can we be more loving towards them? Receiving the Eucharist often uh, is going to help us to do that. And then it wipes away venial sins. By giving himself to us, Christ revives our love and enables us to break our disordered attachments to creatures and root ourselves in him. Okay, that's a great benefit. All right, so receiving Holy Communion helps our relationship with Jesus communally and personally. Um, it forgives sins and preserves us from future sin. Let's learn more about that. 1395, by the same charity that it enkindles in us, the Eucharist preserves us from future mortal sins. The more we share the life of Christ and progress in his friendship, the more difficult it is to break away from him by mortal sin. The Eucharist is not ordered to the forgiveness of mortal sins. That is proper to the sacrament of reconciliation. The Eucharist is properly the sacrament of those who are in full communion with the church. All right. So if you are aware of mortal sins in your life, um, the church says, do not present yourselves for Holy Communion. Okay. That's not because we don't like you. That's not, um, that's not us sort of being ashamed of you. But it's saying what mortal sin does is it, is, it, is it kills the soul. It's mortal. It's lethal. And so we want to have those mortal sins forgiven, taken away before we come up and receive Holy Communion. All right. So receiving communion helps our relationship with the Lord. It forgives our venial sins. It preserves us from future sin. It strengthens us. And then... We're told that the Eucharist makes us the church. The Eucharist makes us the church. When Jesus founded the church, um, what what we're going to celebrate on Holy Thursday, right? A week from this Thursday. um, Hopefully you're able to come to mass that evening, wherever you're from. Um, That evening, several things happen. It's the celebration of the institution of the Eucharist, right? It's that, that the, the first mass was the Lord's Supper, that first Holy Thursday. Um, Jesus takes the bread. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. Um, the church began, in some sense, that night. 
when the Eucharist was first given from Jesus to his apostles. And so the Eucharist makes us the church. Um, Imagine if you came to mass on Sunday and there was no Eucharist. Right? As Catholics, it would make absolutely no sense. It would make absolutely no sense. The Eucharist makes us the church. One thing that every Catholic church has in common, right? Architecture can be different. The stained glass windows can be different. The pews can be different. The people can be different. The language can be different. But at every Catholic church, you're going to walk in. You're going to see one of those red lights. You're going to see a tabernacle that looks like that. You're going to see an altar where the Eucharist is celebrated. And then when you walk in, this is one of the beautiful things about kind of traveling around or maybe even going to another country. I don't know if you've ever been to mass in another language. You knew what to do. Um, you weren't like, what, what, what now what's going on? You knew exactly what was going on. You didn't understand it. You wish the homily was shorter. Right? You probably hopefully brought a book to, to, to follow along, but you knew exactly what to do. Um, it's amazing. We have a Spanish speaking community in, in Stillwater. Um, OSU is in Stillwater. And so we have a, a large kind of international population. We have people from 30 different countries at our parish. Um, and some of them, their English is, is not so good yet. Um, they're, they're working on it. And so they come, we have this lady who her English is terrible. Now she's taking English classes and she's working on it, right? But she, the only mass that she can come to on Sunday is our earliest mass, our 8.30 a.m. mass. Um, she speaks Spanish. She hardly speaks English. She knows exactly what's going on. Um, she is as devout as anybody in that church. Um, the Eucharist makes us the church. Here's how the catechism says it. The unity of the mystical body, the Eucharist makes the church. Those who receive the Eucharist are united more closely to Christ. This is not a knock on our Protestant brothers and sisters, but they are missing out. Um, it's not, it's not a, a sort of a one up. We got you on this one, um, but they are missing out. Um, and, and we don't want to, we don't necessarily say it like that. Um, but, but what we believe is that someone who says, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. We would say the fullness of that, the way in which you do that most fully is walking into the Catholic church, believing what the Catholic church believes and then receiving her sacraments. Anyone who says they're a follower of Christ and is not regularly receiving Holy Communion, they are missing out. Um, It's one of the things that ought to motivate us to evangelize. Um, Because what we have, we want everyone else to have. There's not a limited number of hosts. When you come to Mass, Father Leo is not like, oh no, there's 40, there's, oh no, there's 100 people here, we're out of hosts, I'm sorry. Right, we'll make more. If this place were packed to the gills every single Sunday, if this place got full enough that we have to add another mass, right? Glory to God. How beautiful would that be? But so many of our friends, so many of our families, they're missing out. They're not fully participating in the life of Christ. Um, When somebody becomes a Catholic, 
That's all going to happen for a lot of folks, thousands of people this Easter. We say that, let's say they were were baptized as as a Methodist and then they're becoming Catholic. We would say that on Easter Sunday, at the Easter vigil, they are coming into full communion with the Catholic church. So they were in communion. When someone is baptized, they're, they're our brother and sister in Christ. We don't rebaptize them, but they are not in full communion with the church until they're baptized, if they're not already confirmed, and then receive the Eucharist, receive Holy Communion. The Eucharist makes us the church. So here it goes on. Through it, through the Eucharist, Christ unites them to all the faithful in one body. Communion renews, strengthens, and deepens this incorporation into the church already achieved by baptism. In baptism, we have been called to form one body. The Eucharist fulfills this call. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. St. Augustine, fourth century. Um, if, you, if you're ever looking for a good conversion story, check out St. Augustine, right? St. Augustine was an atheist. St. Augustine um, slept with every woman he could possibly find. Um, St. Augustine um, fathered numerous children out of wedlock. Uh, St. Augustine was all over the place. He meets a guy named Ambrose, St. Ambrose. His mother, Monica, prayed for his sorry behind all of those years And eventually Augustine has this great conversion. He becomes one of the great theologians of the church. He goes on to write this beautiful book called the confessions. And it's his, it's his story. But even that was like a struggle. One of his great lines in the confession, he said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Right. He, he knew the ideal, but he was still drawn to the worldly life. He still was drawn to his, his previous life. Well, here's what St. Augustine has to say. He said this, if you are the body and members of Christ, then it is your sacrament that is placed on the table of the Lord. It is your sacrament that you receive to that which you respond, amen. And by responding to it, you assent to it. For you hear the words, the body of Christ and respond, amen. Be then a member of the body of Christ that your amen may be true. We mentioned it last night when you come up and receive Holy Communion, um, it's a very short exchange between you and the priest or the deacon or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. The priest simply holds up the host and says to you, the body of Christ. And you say, amen. And when you say amen, you're saying, I believe. I believe that that is the body of Christ. I believe in what the church is teaching. Um, It's a very simple exchange, but it's very profound. It's very profound. So one that we don't want to take for granted. Every time you come up, um, one of the things, I have a guy who always sits in the very back row at church, and he kind of annoys me. Um, now I know some of you are sitting in the back row. This is not a judgment uh, on, on, on you. Um, but some, but I always like 
for the back row, we kind of try to reserve that for either people who are coming in late, people with little kids who, you know, need to kind of get, get up and around, uh, or people who don't want to walk very far. But he's able-bodied, and he plants himself right in that back row every Sunday. And so one day I was like, today's the day. I'm talking to him. We're, gonna, we're just going to have a conversation about maybe just kind of give up your seat and make And he said, this is the way he said it. He said, I want as much time as possible walking up to communion to get myself ready. All of you are going to be in the back row this Sunday, right? No. Um, And that was really profound. I had never thought of it that way. He, 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 for, for years, um, he, he, lost, he lost his wife, so he comes, he comes to Mass um, solo now. But for years, he and his wife and their kids, they were, they were front row people. And so the priest, we, you know, would come down from the altar, and he was like the first guy. So he would, get, you know, get up and come up and receive communion. Well, he wasn't ready. He needed the time to walk from back there up here to really prepare his mind that he was about to do the most profound thing he was going to do all week. Okay. I love that. He still sits in the very back row and, and I stopped, I stopped bothering him. All right. The other thing that the Eucharist does, so it, it helps our relationship with Christ. Um, it draws us deeper into the mystery of Christ. It forgives our venial sins. It preserves us from future mortal sins. Uh, it makes us the church. Thir- uh, 1397, the Eucharist commits us to the poor. The Eucharist commits us to the poor. Here's how the church says it. To receive in truth the body and blood of Christ given up for us, we must recognize Christ in the poorest, his brothers and sisters. This is St. John Chrysostom, 5th century. You have tasted the blood of the Lord yet you do not recognize your brother. You dishonor this table when you do not judge worthy of sharing your food, someone judged worthy to take part in this meal. God freed you from all your sins and invited you here, but you have not become more merciful. Right? It's like an indictment. It's coming coming at us really strong. The Eucharist commits us more to the poor. When we receive Holy Communion and we're we're strengthened by the Lord, what that ought to do um, is kind of expand our horizons. Um, It ought to open our eyes to see more than we do now the needs of our brothers and sisters. The Eucharist commits us to the poor. Um, one of the things, and this is, and I don't, this is not, I don't mean this to kind of mean, or I don't mean this as a judgment, but one of the things that's important in, in every parish um, is to look around and ask, who's not here? Who's not here? Who's not here and should be here? And that can be this, you're thinking of one particular person, um, but also think of, of groups of people. Who's not here? And then if somebody who isn't usually here, if they showed up this Sunday and maybe they look, they look different than the, the rest of the, the parish, maybe they talk different, maybe they act different, maybe they're dressed different, maybe they smell different, uh, any of those things, what would be the reaction of this parish 
or of you if that person walked in the door. I think at a lot of places, and this is, this is one of those things that ought to, kind of ought to, ought to bother us. Uh, I think at a lot of places, people would go, what? What, are they, what, are they, what are they doing here? That guy? I don't know if Hartshorn or wherever you're from um, kind of has a, a town drunk, the guy who walks up and down Main Street asking for help, kind of bothers people. A lot of places have one of those. Maybe your family has one of those. Um, what if that person walked in here this Sunday? What if they walked up and sat in your seat? No assigned seats, by the way. Um, what if they walked in and came up here and sat in the front row? Um, the Eucharist commits us more to the poor. It ought to open our eyes more to the needs of our brothers and sisters. All right, two more. The Eucharist um, unifies us as Christians. Now, it doesn't quite always have that effect. Uh, Father Leo took me around Hartshorn today and showed me different churches and we visited the cemetery and just kind of got a little tour of town, went out to the lake a little bit. Um, in Stillwater, which is a city of 50,000 people, um, we have 88 churches. 88 churches. Um, two of them are Catholic. We have one on the campus of OSU and then my parish outside of town. Um, we ought not have 88 churches. Uh, we really ought to have one big church, the Catholic church. Um, and it is the Eucharist that can and should unify us as Christians. So when somebody becomes Catholic, um, one of the things that they do, they profess the faith and they receive Holy Communion. So the Eucharist ought to be uniting us. Um, but we come back to John chapter six. Many of them left because they, they couldn't, believe it. So the Eucharist hopefully in God's plan is, is, is bringing us together and is not a source of separation, although it, it can be. Okay. And then finally, the Eucharist is a pledge of glory to come. I mentioned that the most appropriate sacrament for somebody who's dying is the Eucharist. Um, those of you maybe who uh, are, are maybe the only Catholic in your family, uh, or maybe your children are not maybe as practicing as, as you wish or your spouse or um, put, write all that down. Put that in your, in your final kind of funeral end of life plans. Don't take me off that machine until I see a priest. Um, you know, don't, don't let them do anything to me until a priest can come and see me. Um, because if you can, if you're able to, what a beautiful gift on that last day of your life to receive Holy Communion, viaticum, the pledge of future glory. But then also what happens at the Mass, I didn't mention this in our walk through the Mass last night. There's a point in the Mass, um, we call it the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy. Um, it happens kind of right in the middle. The priest is, is at the altar and he says, and now with all the angels and saints, we sing in the various week to week. And then we sing or we say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of hosts, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When that happens, um, the, the line is so beautiful because it invites we down here. Okay. We're, we're, we're the church on earth. What is often called the church militant. Okay. We're the church down here fighting the good fight. 
when we come to mass, we are united with the church in heaven. In the mass, heaven and earth come together. In the mass, heaven and earth collide. In the mass, heaven and earth kiss. And so while we're down here and we have all the concerns that we have down here, when we come to mass, when we look up at that host that the priest holds up, when we go to adoration and when we receive Holy Communion, we are united with the church in heaven. It's a promise of future glory. Um, Our goal on this earth, really, there's really one. You may have career plans. You may have aspirations. You may have a bucket list of things you want to do before you die. But really, um, Charles Pegui, the great French philosopher, he said, the one great tragedy in the world would be that I don't become a saint. That's it. That's the whole goal is to become a saint. I want to get to heaven. Um, We're going to get on this earth a a number of years. The Psalms say uh, you'll get 70 or 80 for those who are strong. Now that was written a thousand years before Jesus, right? We get, some of us get to live a little, little longer than that, but compared to eternity, our life on this earth is not very long. And so how are we spending this, this time now preparing for what is to come? The Eucharist helps us receiving Holy communion as often as we can spending time with the Lord in the Eucharist as often as we can. Those are the things that are going to help us to become saints that are going to help us get to heaven. I want to close tonight with uh, the words of St. Paul, the words of St. Paul. He writes in his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, This is first Corinthians chapter 11. We read about the Eucharist in the gospels, um, but we also see it in St. Paul. So this is what he says. This is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. And so receiving communion, coming to mass, spending time in adoration, all of those are are our way of telling the Lord, I love you, of renewing our faith, but then also, and perhaps more importantly, allowing the Lord to love us. Allowing the Lord to love us. On um, the great John Vianney, I started with him last night when I told you that he said, if we really knew what was going on in the mass, we would die of joy. Cause of death, joy. He also said, when I go and spend time with the Lord, I look at him and he looks at me. 
That's all he does. I look at him and he looks at me. Um, the Eucharist is, is powerful. It's beautiful. Um, and it's something that we far too often take for granted. That's just always going to be there. I'll get to mass next week. I'll get to adoration later. Somebody else will be there. Um, when in fact, what the Eucharist can do for us is it helps our relationship with Christ collectively and personally. Uh, it draws us deeper into the life of the church. It commits us to the poor. It helps us to think about and ultimately achieve eternal life. Uh, it strengthens us against past sins and future sins. And so let's get here. Let's get here more than we're coming already. And let's invite others. There's a lot of people out there who are missing out on what we have. But then if we're honest, we're missing out on it too, because we don't appreciate the Eucharist enough. The beautiful gift that it is available to us all the time, right here in this place or wherever you came from. Um, I'll stop there and we're going to go and, uh, and grab a bite to eat. And I'm looking forward just to, to maybe continuing uh, the conversation. Um, I'll also bring, I'll bring my notepad over if you want to. I'm happy to write down, uh, just get your emails and um, to write down and send you uh, the talks um, from last night and tonight. They're also posted, I don't know if you're a Facebooker, but uh, they're on the, the Holy Rosary uh, Facebook page. Um, these are good opportunities to, to maybe go back and listen or to send it on to, to somebody else. Uh, but let us never, 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 never take the great Eucharist for granted. Um, it will help us do the one and most important thing, and that's get to heaven. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, over these days and in the days ahead, you call us into a relationship with you collectively as a church and personally as your sons and your daughters. Be with us today. Be with us as we go home. Be with us as we have this meal together. And finally, Lord, strengthen us in our faith, our faith in the church, our faith in the Eucharist that draws us to eternal life. We ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.